Welcome to the Luge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett and Dan Murphy. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for our post-Vegas LaRouge Rugby episode. Derek, how much money do you have left now that you've returned back to Canada? Uh, Well, sadly, I have found out that I am not good at both predicting the outcomes of rugby games, which is bad for gambling, um, and well as predicting the outcomes of other sports, also playing any form of card games or games that involve rolling dice or spinning wheels. Um, so I have, uh, I am good at paying for Ubers and things like that though. Um, so I do have significantly less money than when I previously (laughs) departed from Vegas. Um, however, that being said, it was a great time. Uh, got to see a lot of cool people. Uh, got to talk to a lot of rugby fans and, uh, very smart rugby people as well. Um, so it was definitely worth the trip. Um, if we do this again next year, though, I will make sure I practice a little bit of blackjack before I go, um, because it's uh, you kind of uh, you can lose money pretty quickly in uh, in those places. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, you mentioned dice rolling. What Vegas needs to have is like gambling, but you play Dungeons and Dragons, and like depending on if you beat the the uh, <laughs> the situation, you make money off of it. I would definitely, it would definitely make going to Vegas a lot more fun for me. Oh, yeah. uh, but I'm glad you're back. You know, we did, we did uh, have lots of rugby and uh, lots of rugby under the Vegas sun. And, you know, we're going to start with the most important game to, to Can- Canadians and to, to us as Arrows fans. Uh, the Toronto Arrows sneaked out with the win against Houston. It was, uh, it was a uh, photo finish and uh, many people had many things to say about how it finished, but the first thing we're going to talk about this game is that, uh, in my opinion, and some other people have mentioned it as well, is the backs were much more involved in this game um, with tries from Detroit. Uh Deanna got a nice assist, a nice pass from uh, Adams to really kind of uh, finish off that play. And Dan Moore had another try. Um, Derek, was this the conditions that kind of made it a little bit more um, advantageous for open play? Or did... Uh, it just needed another week for the for the backs to kind of get together and be a little bit more organized. Yeah, it looks like the uh, the backs had a, a natural twenty dexterity check on their, uh, <laughs> their ball handling this week, um, just to you know feed Dan's need for D and D references in a rugby podcast. Um, Fun fact: I actually was playing Dungeons and Dragons while the Arrows game was going on, so I had oh. the Arrows game on my phone while i was playing dungeons and dragons so it, yeah, I, there is method to my madness about bringing it up today i i appreciate the dedication to your team that's just poor D etiquette so <laughs> I'll, I'll let it slide. i am the worst player no one ever played with me i can tell why you watch rugby games while you're playing the game anyways all right so <laughs> the yeah uh i think it was a little bit obviously you know the conditions i guess i think were uh, they were a lot nicer than what they were in austin um, big, uh, you know, the arrows seem to have a lot of trouble with just, you know, basic, uh, like, you know, ball handling errors that uh, were very frequent, um, against the Austin Gilgronis that just, you know, beautiful, nice, sunny day, um, you know, optimal temperature, not like not really even a cloud in the sky, um, which really did kind of allow them to completely utilize their full skill set. Um, so they were able to, they were definitely able to get the backs involved a lot more, um, and especially in the first half with, you know, the, uh, the set piece plays, they were going wide to the backs really quickly is what you saw on, uh, the Twa's try. I think the conditions kind of allowed Taylor Adams to play a little bit more of his style of game, that, uh, very dynamic style, lots of, uh, passing, lots of, you know, some say maybe more highly skilled plays, um, that, you know, the conditions last week maybe didn't necessarily allow for. But I think even this week we got to see like the first real uh, benefit of like having both Adams and Malcolm on the pitch at the same time, especially in the first half. It seemed like, uh, you know, the uh, Houston Sabercats were uh, struggling to, you know, figure out where to pressure with their defense um, and which guy to actually, you know, um, attack with that defense if, uh, defensive structure. And it was just kind of like if they went after, if they went towards Adams, the ball would go to Malcolm and he'd be able to find you know, create a big hole. And if the ball and if the, 
the pressure went towards Malcolm's way, they would shift the ball back over to Adams and he would do the same thing. Um, so it, it was nice to see the arrows obviously are definitely looking to play a very expansive brand of rugby this season. And I think, it, you know, especially in the first half, it really kind of showed throughout this game or during this game. And, you know, that, that was my next point on our, on our little script that we, that I write up is that Malcolm and Adams are, both of them on the field, having two playmakers is maximum chaos in mm. a good way for the arrows. And I, I believe it was Giuseppe Dutrois on your uh, uh, when you interviewed him post game about uh, how nice it is to have those options continuously playing. Um, yeah, you know, it, it makes it makes the, the backs job a lot easier. It gives the forwards a little bit of relief in terms of you know being able to set up their structure. When you got guys that can continuously make those plays, it's a uh, Pretty, uh, pretty nice. Um, now, one of the questions I also saw online uh, is, did the Arrows maybe miss some of the finishing of the Uruguayans? Um, you know, we, we didn't have Gaston Merez or Leandro Levis uh, in this game. And, you know, was there maybe, maybe this game would have gotten a little bit more further ahead if they had those guys in, in the game? Well, I think, like, I mean, any any time you're kind of dealing with injuries as a team, it's, uh, you know, like, they're, they're, Mirez and Livas are, you know, part of the, uh, the the main 23 roster for a reason. Um, and I think to an extent, maybe you kind of miss that, like, maybe that little bit of that X factor. Um, Mirez has an uncanny ability to sort of make plays from nothing, um, which maybe was a little bit missed in this game. Uh, but that being said, uh, Johnny Sheridan uh, really stepped up and had a great game. Uh, he uh, had seven carries for a total of 107 meters, which was the most on the arrows. Um, he also led the game with two line breaks. Um, his meters carried uh, number was only short of uh, Tian Lutz's uh, 110, um, but Lutz did that in 14 carries, so he had twice as many carries as Sheridan. Um, Sheridan obviously also, you know, we were talking about Sam Malcolm as well. They, they was able to hook up with Sam Malcolm for a massive line break um, that eventually led to that Deanna try. Um, so it was the kind of the the arrows backs were able to get everybody involved um, at various different points in the match, um, which, you know, was great to see that it's, you know, you can go, you can put the ball in anybody's hands and, you know, they're going to make something positive happen for the team. And I, I agree with you. I was really impressed by him. And again, uh, I think John Sheridan's one of those really cool stories where, you know, he's played at, at, at multiple different levels of rugby in Canada. You know, Ontario colleges with the Humber Hawks, played with Guelph in the OUAs, and now has a chance to apply his trade uh, with the Arrows. I think it also, like, it really shows, like, you know, the depth of the Toronto Arrows team where you can lose two fully capped players at the same position. Then the next guy that's is able to you know step up, um, and play sixty seven minutes and uh, lead your team in uh, like uh, in meters carried, um, as well as you know being a major factor on a couple of the try scoring plays. Um, so that's really just speaks to the amount of depth that the arrows have that a player like Sheridan is able to step up. Um, probably only really in the lineup because the two guys ahead of him are hurt. Um, but he's still able to step up and make a big impact on this game. Now we're we're switching to the the the, the forwards, and you know, um, Toronto scrum definitely faced a little bit more tougher competition uh, this weekend. Uh, Houston came to play, especially with their forwards, mm-hmm. and uh, were a lot more of a tougher competition than Austin. Um, so that was, in a weird way, it was great to see because you want the arrows to not be complacent and to, to be challenged. Um, but one thing I was happy about with the bat, with the forwards was there was a much more consistent line out mm-hmm. um, in this game compared to Houston. And I mean, the, the conditions were not great for lineouts. I mean, having a constant mist around someone trying to catch a ball in the air while being lifted, it's not conducive. That being said, there were a lot of overthrown balls yeah. by uh, by both hookers, by um, uh, Stephen Ning and Andrew Quatron. So to see both of them, um, you know, having their throws on target and also um, just all in all having a, a pretty good maul for most of the game. Um, what did you think about the, about the, the forwards play, especially in the set pieces, Derek? 
yeah, I thought the uh, the set piece was good. I think uh, you kind of touched on it there a little bit of the, you know, the, the lineup last week against Austin um, was terrible. Um, but, you know, the weather is a factor into that. And like we already touched on, they had a much, much uh, more favorable conditions today. Uh, the lineup, I thought the lineup was good, especially like the, I thought it was uh, like, I was more impressed with the defensive side of the lineup, especially yes. um, coming from De La Vega's uh, game. Um, De La Vega, he came away with, officially he came away with one lineout steal. Um, but I think, you know, it was just seemed like every time Houston put the ball in the air, either De La Vega or Deanna was able to, you know, kind of uh, make, make sure it wasn't clean, um, screw up the, either their timing, um, just make sure they couldn't get that ball out of the lineout cleanly. Um, obviously, there is also, you know, the big, the big mall at the end um, with the arrows down uh, two forwards to go going into that mall, too. And, uh, you know, they were able to swim through and uh, Lucas Rumble could get his hands on the ball, too. Um, so that kind of combination of the lineup defense into that mall um, was really impressive um, throughout this game today. And, you know, I think it's uh, just positive signs for going forward. The scrum, um, the scrum was uh, got a much better competition out of the Houston Sabercats. Uh, but the one, you know, the one great stat that still kind of, uh, stands out is that you know the arrows won 100 of their own scrums. Uh, they did concede a couple of penalties um, in that situation as well, though. Um, but you know, ultimately, it was another solid game from the scrum, and it's still looking like it'll be one of the strengths of the Toronto Arrows team throughout the season. Now, this game did have its blem- blemishes as well. I mean, mm-hmm. we can't talk about how well the arrows did in the first half and how open the play was without mentioning the penalties, the yellow card, and the red card mm-hmm. uh, near the end of the game as well. I mean, there were yeah. discipline issues for sure in this game, and it's going to be something that they're, they're going to have to address because there's going to be better teams offensively in this league that are going to p- make you pay if you give up that many penalties. And, I'm, and, I, you, and one of the things... That that really my main mind was made up about that after watching this game is Houston is going to be most likely making the playoffs in my opinion. Um, well, yeah, I don't know about been, how you would have been cool it. if somebody predicted that during our uh, prediction show, right? Yeah, we'll have to look through back on that those podcasts because I did not write it down. Ah, well. But uh, you know what? It, I was really impressed by Roos and, and, and uh, Windsor. They both uh, were very impressive. I mean, we've had. Two years now of, of watching uh, Windsor just be, you know, clutch with the kicking boot, whether it's, you know, for points or for or for meters. But I, I'm noticing this year, and I, I was watching it in the first game that they played as well uh, against uh, Glendale, is he's starting to, to be a little bit more mobile now and willing to you know, run the ball in the contact and just creates an extra option. And, and Roos was, uh, you know, two tries on the weekend. If he's not the you know, the, the nine of the, you know, the number nine in the starting 15 uh, for MLR, I'm going to be very surprised because I thought he had a fantastic game. Yeah, no, he, he definitely did. The, uh, yeah, we can, we can get into the penalties and stuff a little bit later. So obviously the arrows ran into a lot of trouble there, but uh, Sam Windsor uh, did, he definitely had a great game to wet the, to wet ruse uh, as a super intelligent rugby player that, uh, that try, the second try that he scored was just like, you can tell it's just like reading that situation and being like, there's no way I'm not scoring from this distance. Yeah. Um, to have the, you know, uh, the arrows already down a man because the yellow card, you know, to be able to identify that, hey, there's there's a winger that's packed down instead of a proper flanker uh, on the short side. And also, hey, that, and, you know, Andrew Ferguson's um, out of position as well, just to be able to, you know, do that quick, uh, that quick pick and go along the, uh, just along the touchline with, basically no with essentially no defender there because uh you know it's tough to ex- it's tough to expect a winger to react as fast as a flanker can um and uh you know ferguson kind of left that side unprotected uh he had a great game uh windsor as well windsor's kicking game is unreal especially like from the ball in hand i thought yeah. the the toronto arrows though i really thought they did uh, a really good job of kind of defending against that um especially uh just you know they they seem to always have you know when you watch the game against Colorado last week, the you know a lot of Windsor's kicks were able to uh, bounce on bounce on the ground, 
um, and, you know, just with very, you know, various Colorado back uh, outside backs just kind of seemed to get kind of caught out of position by a lot of them, which didn't happen for the arrows. Um, either Malcolm, uh, either Malcolm or Adams Sheridan always kind of seemed to be able to um, have themselves positioned nicely to be able to retrieve the ball. And, you know, even we even saw too, like just um, this wasn't a Windsor kick, but uh, it was a Matthias Freyer kick. Um, from fullback that, you know, Adams was able to get um, to receive cleanly and they immediately started a counterattack that only took yeah. two passes to uh, put Dan Moore away for the try. Um, so it was like the, the it is a big part of the Houston kicking game is a big part, but I felt the is a big part of what they do. But I felt that the um, Toronto Arrows did an excellent job to kind of uh, like neutralize that essentially. Ultimately, and we'll Ultimately, though, like the, uh, the for their kicking game, uh, Houston had 581 kicking meters. The Arrows actually ended up with 667. So they the Arrows actually kind of, at least for distance, sort of ended up kicking a little bit more. Um, right. But as far as the total amount of kicks, um, uh, Toronto had 22 kicks in play, and then uh, Houston had 17. So it wasn't off by that much. But right. I guess the Arrows were getting a little bit more air under the ball. But um, but it was essentially like not a whole lot came from like like Houston was able to basically beat Colorado because they were able to flip the pitch a lot, and that didn't really happen a whole lot in this game. And you know we'll get into the penalty trouble stuff later when we preview uh, the Seattle game, which will be happening uh, this weekend. Um, we're going to move on from the game, and uh, you know my last thing I'll say about Houston is you know. I think that they've definitely got some pieces like Lutz and Esdale has, I think, significantly improved from last season. So they're going to be a fun team to watch. Um, but we're going to move on now, and we're going to talk about a game that didn't happen in Vegas. Uh, Old Glory, in their first home game, the Beast's first game in MLR, pulled out a win, stunning the two-time MLR champions and pushing them to 0-2. You know, this, this game was uh, it was back and forth, and I was really impressed by, by both uh, J.K. Nicky and uh, DeJustice Sears Duru. They both had really strong games, and, uh, you know, they, they really, at the beginning of the game, were really punishing that Old Glory scrum, which, I mean, so far, not hard to do. But even when Old Glory kind of seemed to figure out their, their business, both those props seemed to have uh, pretty strong games. You know, Derek, what is Seattle missing? You know, it's, it's virtually the same team other than, you know, Ben Seema is injured right now. And, you know, I, in this game, they're, they're missing Ross Neal. So, you know, he, he wasn't playing. You know, George Barton pulled into the starting lineup, and I thought he had, he had a pretty good game. But it just seems that they're, they're kind of one step ahead, uh, you know, behind um, from – from last season and and I was listening to our, our friends at that earful of dirt and one thing that they did mention is that Seattle always kind of starts slowly in the year you know their starts of the years always kind of tend not to go as as well um, so maybe take that in consideration maybe they're slow starters maybe injuries but is there something else that's missing from this team Derek uh, I think I think the loss of uh, Ben Sema is obviously you know, that's a big deal. Uh, he's a quality player. And, uh, you know, I didn't really get to see a whole lot of this game, but I know it was a noticeable, it was a noticeable difference uh, in San Diego last week that when, you know, he wasn't there, it's, you know, it's a big piece of their, their offense uh, missing. Um, the one thing that I keep kind of questioning though, is, like I said, I didn't really get all, like get to see a whole lot of this. It was at the same time as the Arrows game. Um, and I was in Las Vegas um, for it. So um, I caught a, you know, a couple of the USA Eagles coaches put the game on a TV up in the press box. So I just was able to kind of glance at it. Um, but it was, um, but it, it was kind of like, so I don't really have a whole lot of in-depth analysis for this game. But the one thing I keep hearing that people said is that, you know, Old Glory Scrum looked a lot better. And when I'm looking at the stat sheet here it says they won just 43 percent of their own scrums versus seattle winning 100 so like i'm very so it's like as somebody that's watched this game could you please kind of explain what made their scrum look better considering i'm staring at the number 43 percent on my screen they were 
Uh, listen, when the bar is set so low as their first game against NOLA, that's where you're at when you say, oh, at 43%, that's not bad. And and it did get progressively better. Like, I think they, they lost a lot of scrums at the beginning of the game, the first 15, 20 minutes. And then it kind of got better as the game went on. Uh, so I definitely think that's part of it. Rough start and became mediocre by the end of the game. Um yeah, there, there was, like, one, there, one of their first scrums, like, the front row of Old Glory basically just got, like, flopped over the locks. Like, not pushed down, pushed back and over. Like, it was it was crazy to watch. Um, and, you know, Doug Fraser also had a try in this game, so he is now, you know, two for two in games in MLR with, with tries uh, for Old Glory. So, it's great to see some Canadian guys uh, touching the ball down. Um, and, you know... Old Glory is going to just be a wild card, I, I find, because if they can fix their scrum problems, because their lineouts aren't aren't too bad. I, I'd have to look at the stats to kind of see what their lineout percentages looked like. But if they can figure out their their scrum problems, you know, they can be make some noise. Um, but you know, if we're finding anything out in this this league, is is parity is king, and you yeah. know, the next game that that. Uh, we talk, we're talking to talk about is the Free Jacks who stunned the rugby world and destroyed Rooney, made them look silly, gave up 26 unanswered points to Utah, mm-hmm. who the week before gave up a bunch of unanswered points and lost to an expansion team. Mm-hmm. So this, this league is just full of craziness. All the teams are just silly. And they just want to do whatever they want, and they just want to have fun playing rugby. But uh, it was it was that one that game I did watch a lot of, and it was quite a impressive game. I really liked what I saw from Utah. Um, just having a backline like that with a guy like Gannon Moore and Josh Whippy, like they those two connected on a try t- together with with their I don't know his his name, but the backup scrum half that might be the the the, the try of the year. Like they're so much fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Utah. Utah definitely definitely looked great in the second half. Um, I was at the the Arrows uh, captain's run uh, during the first half. So uh, when I showed up to Sam Boyd Stadium, I just got to see uh, Utah kind of go off and destroy uh, the Free Jacks in the second half there, um, which was great. Yeah, they played a really exciting brand of rugby. A lot of their tries, as you said, kind of got people uh, – you know, people in the crowd kind of off their feet there. Um, with your point there about the the parody, I think it's I think it's awesome to see that you know you're kind of developing a uh, developing a league that it's you know you're going to have a team that finishes that wins a championship this year, and you're going to have a team that finishes last. But I think what MLR, I think we're start, slowly kind of starting to see is that you know anybody can kind of beat anyone on any given day. Um, which is a great thing for the league as a whole, uh, and hope and uh, is looking to make make for a really exciting year. I personally like. I think the the, the quality of uh, the quality of the games, even just through the first two weeks, is already probably better than what it was last year too. Yeah, it's it is quite the interesting situation, and um, you know, Josh Larson had a good game as well. You know, he uh, he really in- impressed me. He continues to impress me. I think every time I see him, I keep on saying, man, I want him in, in a Canada jersey more and more. Um, and, you know, there was, there was another uh, Canadian content game. Uh, rugby ATL beating NOLA at home. Again, in not great conditions. Um, but it was a fun game to watch. And we're not going to get into the game a lot, but there's just one... Uh, personnel decision that I thought was interesting, and it was Connor Keyes being left out of the starting lineup. And when he ended up coming in, he actually ended up coming uh, replacing a flanker. Mm-hmm. I don't want to read too much into this because this is one game, and he's a young player, so he's he's gonna move in and out of the lineup until he, either the coaching staff or him build up confidence in him and his abilities. Um, but to be a World Cup capped player and not be in the starting lineup in week two i i know i again i don't want to raise any alarm bells but that just concerns me a little bit that you know maybe he's falling out of favor i don't know am i reading too much into this derek 
Uh, you might be. I think you know part of part of the uh, the early stages of the season is you know coaches are going to attempt to figure out what the you know sort of the the best lineup is for each of their teams, right? Um, if you kind of look too at the uh, you know the other two uh, locks that were actually in the lineup here for this game, um, Stefan Willemsay and uh, Johan Momsen, uh, what uh, that's um, you know that's those are some really good players, man. Like they play, they have a lot of uh, experience at the top levels in, uh, you know, in South, in the Southern hemisphere. And, um, you know, it'll be, it's going to be like, if they're, if they're on their game, it's going to make it difficult for uh, Connor keys to get in the lineup. Again, though, that's, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's, you know, that friendly competition is something that can make you as a player a lot better when you have to kind of like, you know, take those steps and drive, um, in order to become a better rugby player, you need that competition sometimes. So I'm not really looking at this as like a negative for um, for Connor Keys at all. And I think you know maybe you know it could be a, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think you know if you kind of look at last year with the arrows too, I think you know Cole Keith ended up behind Morgan Mitchell in the lineup a lot, and uh, you know I think you know that may have you know given him some push and some drive, and you know he's come back in uh, you know. 2020 here and he looks like a like a much improved player over the course of the offseason um so it's not necessarily a bad thing sometimes you have to you know sometimes you you need to uh have somebody on your team that's able to push you in order to get better and um you know if regardless of whether keys um is starting or not i hope uh you know i hope he's able to uh to get that out of uh momson and willemsey and that's why we we have derek on the podcast is i hyperventilate I panic. I read too much into things. Maybe that's just my least fan in me, but he he's got the calm attitude about this. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're now let's look at the big picture about how this weekend went. The the, the, M, the Vegas MLR experiment. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we feel about this this venture? Do we want this continuing, or or are there just little fixes we want? I mean, personally for me, I didn't really see a whole lot about the number of fans. I, yeah, that were at these games, so it's hard to kind of make make a call about that. Yeah. I don't think they had an official announcement, but I would go with somewhere around four to five thousand, maybe you know maybe closer to the four number. But I don't, I haven't seen an actual official thing. It was, yeah. it's kind of tough to gauge because it was, um, they had a like a club level deck. Um, so it was tough to kind of see how many more people were on the club level. Although a lot of those people were like the owners, the actual, like the owners of the teams and like, right. you know, other staff and, uh, where like the players would go to chill after as well, um, and have like their post game meal and stuff. So it was tough to see how much of that space is also like, you know, just extra spectators and things, but I don't think, gotcha. um, so there was like, there's more people than just what you could see in the crowd that were at the game, but they were also maybe you know, there for, you know, business purposes and stuff as well. Um, but like, yeah, the, the fans I would go with, yeah, maybe around four to five ish would be my guess. I don't think it would be more than five, but um, it would probably be around four or so. Right. And, and that's, that's my point is watching on, on TV. Yeah. It didn't look like there was anybody there. Yes. Yeah, you could it's... tell, you could tell because it was loud. Like the fans were into it, like, and that's what I loved about it is, is you couldn't see as many people, but they were loud, and that was that was great. Um, so if I want this to be something that we continue, they need. I I personally think they need to find a better venue, you know. And I don't know how many outdoor venues there are in in Vegas, and that's going to be the problem, right? But if we can fill a, st- a venue that that is a little bit more appropriate in terms of how many fans are in there and we can get proper TV coverage or even just Facebook live or whatever. We need people to see that we can fill seats. And when we do it in a stadium that fits 15,000, is that what the, around the size of Sam Boyd? Sam Boyd is 40,000. 40,000. That's why I, wow, I was way off. Yeah. So there you go. If you can, if we can't, at least that's ten- what, that's what Google says. The capacity is, is 40,000. So, it, so it's we, a big stadium, man. Like it, uh, like it, it, it's one of those. Like even if you, even if you had like ten to fifteen thousand people in there, that would have looked like it would still look empty. So I'm kind of like I'm agreeing with your point of like a smaller stadium would be better. I think the baseball stadium that they were originally gonna play at um, is about 
10, I think, believe it was about 10,000, somewhere in that territory, which is probably a more appropriately sized uh, stadium. But, um, you know, for, I, be- I believe uh, there was some, like, turf uh, concerns with the pitch for the actual baseball team that's there. Um, so I think that's kind of why it may have gotten nixed. Um, and they had to move it to Sam Boyd. Um, but I think, I, I but, yeah, Sam Boyd's just, it's maybe like it's just too big for major league rugby. Yeah. It's like if we we try to put a game in an NFL stadium right now. It just wouldn't work. So that I think that's the biggest thing, right? Is if we can't find the right venue for it, then why are we doing this and hey. we're in year 3 of of this league. Why are we trying to force a event like this if if we're having a problem with with a venue like that? So that that was my my the my biggest nitpick about it. And then there was a little one that I did see um, some people uh, talk about, and it was about how there wasn't a lot of local advertising. Um, and that one, you know, it, again, we're a small league. We can't really afford a whole lot, so I'm not too worried about that one. Uh, yeah, um, I, I don't know, man. I think it was it was kind of bizarre actually being down there and sort of seeing it. Um, like, it was just like a general sense that, like, people definitely, I feel like, I feel like the, the local people of Las Vegas certainly didn't really know what was happening. Right. Uh, and you, uh, like, you know what I mean? Like, when you hop in the, like, the Uber to go from the, the hotel to the to Sam Boyd Stadium, you have, like, the uh, like the drivers would be asking what's happening at Sam Boyd Stadium that people are, like, going to. Um, and it was just, there, was, there wasn't really, and you kind of would have to explain to them what, you know, what Major League Rugby even was at right. some point. Um, and you know, obviously that's, you know, not everybody's a huge sports fan or anything, but, uh, even like in the hotel, it seemed like, you know, uh, if you, uh, I know I heard some fans would ask questions of, of, of like the hotel staff, um, relating to, uh, some of the Vegas weekend events and, um, you know, they would kind of get answers of like the hotel staff didn't even necessarily seem to know what the MLR Vegas weekend was, right. um, despite the fact that, you know, there was eight professional rugby team staying in their hotel um if you like i said it's like i think the one thing too it's like i think if you walked around the strip and so there was one sign for the mlr vegas weekend inside the hotel um but like if you walk around like the strip or any other areas of vegas there's like a billion and five screens um and like there's no like ad for the like the vegas weekend or major rugby anywhere um so it was just kind of like a thing that it like you could kind of notice in the city that's just littered with advertisements uh, major league rugby didn't have that much of a presence but i think um there was one thing that i also kind of felt like i as far as like i don't know if it's so much it's not so much the marketing um for the vegas weekend specifically but there was one thing that i noticed being in vegas um that i've kind of like have sort of realized it's like the league needs to do a much better job of this specifically type of marketing. And it was like in, in Las Vegas, you know, obviously gambling is a massive thing that people do there. And there's a handful of massive sport books at various casinos um, uh, throughout the city. And you can't bet on a major league rugby in any of them, um, which it was something that kind of was like, so it's not so much that it surprised me, but it was like realizing kind of like how sort of maybe like low down the totem pole, like the sport fully is, or the league kind of is right now. Like yeah. if you walked into the, the Westgate and you could go into like the sports book there, which is apparently the largest sports book in the world. And it was like, you can, if you can think of a professional league, the mo- think of the most obscure professional league in your head right now, you can bet on that league. Um, you can bet on any, you could basically bet on absolutely any sport there was i saw like people were putting bets on like the third division of nascar or whatever that's called um which i learned was a thing because i saw it listed as one of the things that you can bet on um but it was like there's there's so much of that and i think like kind of looking at it it goes back to what we were sort of talking about last week when the arrows did the injury report um it was like okay like thank you for a team actually you know doing a thing that is you know common in professional sports is to announce your injuries and stuff and i think you know i think you want to kind of especially in that city to host an event you kind of almost want to you want to lean able into to, it 
Yeah, you want to be able to allow people to gamble on it, which is not going to happen at this point in time. One, because there's no publicly available injury reports except for the Toronto Arrows. And they looked like the Free Jacks, although they put it up very late toward the time of the game. Um, but like they did eventually end up doing it. But right now it's like there's two teams in the three-year history of Major League Rugby that have put an injury report. So nobody's going to like want no sports book is going to want to make bets on that if they don't have the information and the other thing that we don't have too is stats um like i know i've i know people are obviously listening to this and it's like you've heard me rifled off a number of stats today um but like those you can't and it's like but i have like you know sources for acquiring them but like you there's no publicly available ones there's no way for a fan to just go and be like Oh, I wonder, you know, who has the most meters carried or something. Or if you're interested in it, I know like the MLR website, it has a few stats listed, but it doesn't list anybody beyond the top 10. So if you're even to be like, I want to look for this team's leading try score, it's like, well, there's 12 teams in the league. So there's a good chance that somebody's leading try score isn't even in the top 10. And therefore, like you can't see it. Um, So but like all that does is encourage like if you put out accurate Injury reports, accurate stats, it, it encourages fans to, you know, be able to do things like start fantasy rugby leagues, start fa- uh, start fantasy uh, for other sports apps to start, you know, how doing fantasy rugby competitions for, you know, uh, sport books to uh, want to be encouraging people to uh, to bet on the competition, things like that as well. Um, so it's, you know, it's it's one of those things I think like as the, the growth of the league is something that they kind of need to look at to be able to make things like stats, injury reports, basic, you know, information that most other sport leagues provide to be there to encourage the participation from people that maybe don't want to watch it just for rugby, but are interested in it if it would be something that they can, like, you know, participate in through either gambling or playing a fantasy league or something to that effect. And, you know, uh, I think the perfect example, if you're looking for, for rugby, is the Rugby World Cup's website was fantastic in terms right. of showing the stats that that were it's, available. Yeah. And, and it's not and it's, it's not that stats aren't out there. It's just it's like the general public, public doesn't don't have, have access. access to them. Yeah. Right. It's like you know, for for people, you're kind of waiting for the teams to like you know put out like a tweet saying this is the stat and stuff. Yeah. And uh, you know, but that's all or something that comes off the broadcast for the general public. So it's not everybody has access to them, which, you know, is an unfortunate thing, because I think it kind of if the league did a better job of communicating things like injury reports, statistics and stuff, it could ultimately lead to more people willing to watch it or get into the game. Well, and I have and this this was brought up. We've brought this up before on the podcast, this whole discussion about the holding back the stats. And I believe that. I got into a discussion about this on Reddit about how someone made the argument is that, well, the league and the teams are doing writers a favor by holding back the stats that way they can post articles about the stats and that's where the information comes from, either from the team or the writers. And my mm-hmm. argument was, if you want the writers to have time to write a story and then publish it so that way fans can get information from them, Fine. That give them a forty-eight hour window post game to write yeah. up their information, post it, and because there's going to be there's situations where, like we're how we're recording right now, this we're recording on the Tuesday. The Arrows game was on Sunday. You know that information for me would be great because it gives me more information, and it's not like I'm I didn't miss out on reading Derek's writing or anybody else's writing about the games because trust me, I read them all. So. That information we want. If, if we have to wait a little bit for it, that's fine. I don't have any qualms with that. I don't have any problems with that. But make the information available. That That is a great first step, Derek, and I appreciate you going off on it because it is – if we want this sport to grow, we need more information. And, you know, big and, leagues are, have this problem as well. I mean, the NHL is notorious for not ha- not posting all the stats on their websites as well. So – Hopefully this will yeah. be something that the MLR nips the butt um, earlier in, in their in their time as a league. Yeah, I think like I, I don't mind have like I don't mind if you know even people like myself can kind of have the stats and stuff. But like 
there's there's a lot to there's a lot in the league that you can kind of take in and it's it's something that's just fun to look at like even you know even like the nhl i remember like the nhl when there was the whole salary cap thing when that started to come out there was started to be like sites like cap geek that started and you know it was literally just like you know a fan run initiative to be like to get all the salary cap information out there and eventually it became a thing that like you know now the nhl starts kind of providing that because they realize that a bunch of people want it and i still i think that'd be like the same thing in, in mlr is you know it's just there's a lot of fans that are like want to be able to consume some of that information and you know and even going back to the vegas thing it wasn't it wasn't even so much that you couldn't bet on rugby because you can bet on rugby. It's just you couldn't bet on Major League Rugby, which is interesting considering it's happening in their city. But there's there's just I just think that there's not enough information on it. And it's like for people to be able to do things like you know create gambling lines or to play a fa- even a fantasy version of the game. And these are all next steps, right? Next steps for the league. Yeah, next yeah, steps gotta... for, for different teams. And, you know, the next step for the Arrows is really going to be Seattle. So next weekend at 10 p.m. Eastern time, they will be. And it's funny that uh, the Arrows in Seattle tweeted about the time change in the game because I had already assumed that it was at 10 p.m. So I didn't get affected <laughs> at all by the time change. Um, we're going to talk about those penalties now Sorry. because... Teams like Seattle are going to make you pay uh, if, you, if you make mistakes like the Arrows in the second half. You know, what are they going to need to improve on other than giving up a bunch of penalties and a yellow card and, and a red card? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely, like, I think the, the discipline issues, uh, the Arrows had, I think, 13 of their 17 penalties in the game were in the second half. Now, that does kind of seem to be a bit of a normal thing in major league rugby where it seems starting to it's sometimes seems like calls kind of go in the favor of the team that is uh trailing in the game so maybe that kind of played a bit of a factor into it but ultimately it's like there was still quite a bit of infringements um yeah the you know the yellow card was given just for those repeat infringement uh what did you what did you think of the mike shepherd red card do you think that was appropriate or do you think the you think that should have been a yellow or maybe even just a penalty or like what's because I've seen I've seen well, people seem very divided on this one. I definitely think it was worth a card. That's I think there's no doubt about that. Um, you know I think we were uh, what uh, what what is the card? If it was a yellow card, he was done for the game, right? Like there the, he, there wasn't any time left. He would have been able to come back in, right? Oh yeah, um, either yeah, either way. Uh, the the she- shepherd being a red or a yellow doesn't change yeah. the actual course of that game. Yeah, the arrows I still think... have to. The arrows still have to defend that mall with thirteen guys, no matter what. Yeah, Just... that's not what I'm worried about. Like, I think honestly, I think that he it should have been a yellow. It didn't look like he was trying to forcefully or not forcefully, but it didn't look like he was on purposely trying to you know, chop his head off with the, with the tackle. Mm. It was definitely reckless, and I definitely think it was worth a yellow. I mean, call me impartial because, you know, I, <laughs> I'm i an Arrows fan. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, 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 it is what it is. I, I think that if he does I think to borrow get like any... To, to borrow I think if he definitely gets any more disciplinary actions, mm. I think that that would be a little crazy. I think the red was enough, but... Well, he does me. have... He does have a hearing coming up. Um, yeah. Maybe it was today. I'm not 100% sure. but um, So I guess we'll see the result of that soon, which um, hopefully gets announced um, because uh, back to some of that information thing we were talking about. It's like last year we just kind of found out guys were suspended when they ended up not being in the lineup. Um, yeah. So hopefully there's a bit more transparency on that because I think this is like the first real um, suspension, possible suspension-worthy hit. Um, that's happened this year off the top of my head. I don't know. Has there been another one? There hasn't. No, I don't believe so. Yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think the thing that kind of seemed to kind of hurt Shepard there was that like, it looked like he, it looked like he really only hit like maybe the top of his shoulder and his head as far as yeah. just because of the way 
uh, just because of the way they uh, Shepard kind of landed or like at the trajectory of his body there. Um, so I feel like it's like it's you know I feel like the fact that like the head was to borrow like that hockey term of the principal point of contact or whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, I think that might might have hurt him and maybe I, I I think seeing that game that play in the stadium live at full speed, I I don't think. I'm upset at the ref for giving a red card. Although the replay, I think I'm maybe looking at it like maybe the red card was a tad harsh, but I'm not. I don't think it was a bad call by the ref to hand out the red card. Yeah, um, that's kind of where I sit on it. It's probably a, like I get where the refs coming from and why that was a red, but um, it you know maybe that'll be a factor into whether or not it's suspended or not. Is that? But uh, who knows. So uh, to go off on a little tangent here, uh, MLR just released their first 15 of the week, and Sam Malcolm was named mm-hmm. the starting fi- uh, number 15. Yeah, he had a he had an outstanding game, fully deserves it. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, not really not really shocked to see Malcolm at 15 there. No, doesn't surprise me. Back back to the the preview for the Arrows in Seattle. Um. You know, we kind of went into Seattle a little bit about some of their their issues this season. But one of the things is, is Seattle facing a finishing issue? You know, only one back has scored a try in these two games. And that was Barton in the first game. And only three individuals have touched the ball down. Um, compare that to the Arrows, who have, including the penalty try, six different people touching the ball down with Manuel Diana and Dan Moore both having two tries. So my, yeah. my question to you, Derek, is are, are Seattle's finishers like Brock Stoller and Shalom Sunayula uh, and Bisbee, uh, one of the newer guys that's been playing the wing, are they just not finishing like how we're used to watching Seattle play? Yeah, like, I wouldn't be, like, I don't think if, I'm a Seattle fan, I don't, like, despite the fact that you're 0-2 right now, like, I wouldn't be panicking about this. Um, you know, last year, last year, Seattle, they had, they led the league, they had the most points in the league um, last year, so I don't really, and, you know, like we kind of touched on, their team is, for the most part, kind of the same. Um, so it's... It's not better. Uh, yeah, it, it's, but it's also not worse. Um, so it's, it, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I think, I think the issue really for it is like, you're talking about how many more like try scores, like the arrows have had versus Seattle. I think part of that is like, yeah, like Seattle's losing games right now. They're not going to have very many people scoring tries. Um, It's just the way, like, it's just kind of like the way that like sports works in a sense. It's like, if you're winning your games, you probably have more try scores. If you lose games, you probably have less try scores. Um, So I think, I think we're kind of a little too early in the season to really be, I wouldn't be hitting the panic button if I was Seattle right. at this point in time. Um, obviously, I'm sure they would like to have scored more tries, and I'm sure they would like to have more guys being able to score tries. But like, uh, you know, they still have a lot of talented players there. And you know, the one the one thing with Seattle too, though, is like, and it's been true since the first season, is they are significantly better um, at home than they are on the road. Yeah. Um, so the Toronto Arrows get to be the the first test for them at home. Um, the arrows get the, the honor of the first trip to Starfire. So uh, we always know how like, the fans can create a very hostile atmosphere there. Um, it's probably a sold out game. I haven't actually checked yet, but I would imagine it's sold out since it's Seattle and they usually seem to be able to do that, um, especially for the home opener. So um, I would imagine the Seawolves players are going to have, you know, a lot of excitement about heading into that game too. Um, and I just, you know, it's definitely one of those matchups that, like, the arrows certainly cannot take lightly. Um, even, you know, you can't really take anybody lightly in this league. But right. um, just because they're 0-2 doesn't mean, you know, they that, you know, it's going to be an easy game for the arrows by any stretch. It'll probably be very tough. Um, so, so there should be a lot of key matchups in this game. Um, and, you know, there could end up being a lot of tries and stuff from both sides, too. You know, all right. Devil's advocate here, going to, uh, you know, put my my worry stress hat on as, as a former Seattle SeaWolves fan. You know, they were the most Canadian team in year one, so they will always have a, a dear spot in my heart. 
And the reason why I brought up how many try scores they 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 don't have compared to the arrows is, is I'm worried that without Ben Seema, maybe the creativity isn't there. I mean, Dean has been serviceable as a fly half, but I just find that, that Ben Seema adds a different level of creativity and, and takes some of the pressure away from guys like uh, Turner in, uh, in fullback and then J.P. Smith at scrum half. Just that the creativity that that might not be there with Dean. So I don't want a rebuttal because I know that you're just going to belittle me. <laughs> but I just want people, I just want that, that little thought to be in people's heads when they watch this game. Because I think that will be a big starting point is will Seattle be able to match Toronto's creativity, especially with what we saw in this last game with uh, Malcolm and, and, uh, and the boys just going off and, um, and Taylor Adams having the game that he had. <laughs> His name blanked on me for a second. <laughs> Um, and, you know, before we move on from, from MLR, because we do have a little bit of rugby league news that we want to talk about before we ended this episode was we're going to do our, our, our weekly, uh, uh, predictions. So Derek, for the first game, we've got Nola versus, uh, Ooh, I almost said Glendale, Colorado. (laughs) Uh oh man yeah how did we do last week though did we go through it oh, I know uh we did yeah, not we haven't let's... Got through that yeah yeah well, I should probably check I was kind of scared guys. too so don't feel bad everybody's picks were terrible last week so <laughs> actually I was just saying, I think you got uh, you would have had uh you had a no did you have Noah beating Atlanta I think we just took the opposite of each other for fun no I think we both went. Uh, trying to find it. Uh, lack of organization, Dan. We'll uh, we'll go through this and we'll look back at last <laughs> week's. So right, first week, first game we've got is is Nola versus Colorado. So who do you think is going to win this game, Derek? Um, I am going to go with uh, the Nola Gold. Um, obviously, you know they had uh, they lost last week to um, to Atlanta, but uh, I think it's it's one of those things where it's like I just I think I'm at the point of this season already where I just have no faith in the Colorado Scrum um, versus uh, some of the teams that have a significantly better Scrum. We already saw Nola. Um, we already saw Nola uh, dismantle a team that had a weak Scrum in Week One and. You know, I don't think Colorado is necessarily going to look that bad, but um, I would be back in NOLA to be able to um, d- do a similar thing to the Colorado Raptors in uh, week three. I, I, yeah, I think I agree with you on this one, and I think this might be, might be a little bit further away. NOLA scrum is just significantly better and i think that we're not going to see a close game that's for sure okay so the next game is the utah warriors versus the awesome gildronis what do you think derek oh man that is oh man that's you know i actually feel like this is probably a little bit tougher to call um than it might be leaning on um you know, I think obviously Utah had that great second half um, against um, uh, against the Free Jacks last week. Austin, though, watching Austin play New York, and it's like they actually like they didn't look that bad. Um, you no. know, I think New York, uh, New York, I think like struggled at sometimes during at points during that game. Uh, Mason Peterson looked unreal. Obviously, the highlight of the game for him was that he, well, maybe uh, I believe he scored too, but like the highlight of that game for a lot of people you know he at least on social media is that he absolutely lit up bastero um it was a massive hit it was uh, great to see um and you he know was he was named had, a tight head of of the week as as he should be he had an <laughs> outstanding performance um in that game um and you know i just part of me is like we've been talking about we've been talking about how throughout this episode but some of the parody in the league uh, anybody can beat anybody on any day, and man, uh, you know what? Austin is not gonna go zero and sixteen again. So I, I think, I think they'll they could 
I think they could get on the board here. You know what? I think that uh, Utah's going to come in with a little bit of swagger after that last game. So I think that Utah will take the game. So the next game I think is a very interesting game. It is Old Glory versus the Sabercats. And uh, I think this is going to be a really good game to watch as a fan. Um, uh-huh. I'm scared that you're going to take my pick, Derek, but I'm going to let you go first. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, there's only two options, so I guess I got a 50-50 shot of taking the team that you want to take here. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think I think Houston is going to take it. I think, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see. Is this game in Houston or in D.C.? It is in Houston. In Houston? All right. I think... I don't know. They, Old Glory doesn't necessarily have that the crowd behind them. I still think even just kind of looking at the numbers from that Old Glory game, I'm still like I know I've heard people say that their scrum looked better, but that 43% number kind of still scares me. Um, Houston scrum has been very good through um, so far throughout this season. Um, Toronto had an upper hand against them last week, but it was you know only really slight at best. Um, and you know, so I think uh, it'll be kind of the same thing. Like I don't know. I would hope that, uh, you know, the beast can maybe kind of settle down that scrum. And maybe now that he has, say, more of a more of a full week to kind of be with those guys, maybe it'll look a little bit better. But um, I'm going to say Houston and probably, you know, Sam Windsor and uh, DeWitt Ruse will, uh, you know, their kicking game will kind of come back to form and be a big factor too. You know, I, I think, uh, I think uh, this, this one – it's a tough one because I really like uh, DTS and I like Fraser and I I think that um, I think I'm going to go with Old Glory. I think that with a full week of practice with the boys, I think the Beast can whip that front row into shape. And the, you know the locks that they've got, you know Nakatini was a monster for Seattle this year or last year. So I can't see him. Uh, playing this the way he did in, in the scrum much longer. So I think I'm going to go with Old Glory just because I I feel like, again, I, I love the idea of these big wins and swagger being brought into ne- this week, especially still uh, you know, coming off a big road win uh, or a home win. I think they're going to take it on the road. Now, the next game, the Arrows versus the Seawolves. Derek, who do you think is going to win this game? With oh man the Sea Wolves at home, with the Sea Wolves at oh man this is a this is a this is a tough one. The 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 cop out answer for this question um, is going to be whoever wins the scrum battle is going to win this game. Um, however, that probably also means it's going to be two really good scrums going head to head. But uh, you know that also means that I still have to actually pick somebody here. Um, <laughs> The you know I think the I, I don't know man I think it'd be it's obviously a big matchup it'll be a big turning point in the season for either team um, I think with the way the arrows have been playing I think there's going to be a big enough gap between um, the fly halves there um, with Adams and Dean that uh, the arrows will probably be able to walk away with leave Seattle with a rare with a rare um, hand them a rare home loss um, so if that's where I'm kind of going to go on that, and I think, um, yeah, I think it's it's it, it should be a tough game. It, it'll be a tough game, though. It's definitely. I know Seattle's 0-2, but um, like they're not going to stay that way for very long. But I think they might stay that way for one more game. Uh, you know this this is a tough one for me because I watched two games last year mm-hmm. with. The arrows traveling to Starfire Sports Complex, and the first game they lost in the last few minutes of the game, and then the second game it was kind of close, but not really. You know, they were kind of fed their lunch in that playoff game, and yeah. you know, everyone's talking about how the Sea Wolves are going to be motivated and fired up because they're going to and coming home. I'd like to make the argument that the arrows are going to be fired up because they are zero mm-hmm. to. At in Seattle, so I think that the arrows are going to come in, you know, piss full of vinegar and uh, come away with a road win and be three and zero to start the season. 
There you go. I guess uh, nobody nobody can say we're not uh, loyal to the Canadian side here. So yeah. So watch um, out, haters. <laughs> Um, and then uh, to finish off, we've got uh, two more games. We've got uh, Rooney traveling to Rugby ATL for their home game opener. So who do you got here? We've got the two worst names in rugby playing each other. It, it, it's, man, you know what? That's, that's true. Uh, I don't know. Maybe we can put like a little stipulation on this. Be like, you know, loser has to change their name or something. <laughs> winner, ha- winner gets to. Um, no, lo- winner loser has to change their name to the the nickname that their fans have given them. So well, the New York yeah. Roosters or Roosters the and... Atlanta Rattlesnakes. Well, sir, those are cool names. See, that, that's the one thing I do enjoy about the. I really do enjoy about these names is that they got. It's like they're they're like the two teams that have like a genuine nickname um, that fans and media both kind of seem to go with. Um, so it's tough to. You know, the, the realistically, if like the, the names aren't actually that bad, it's just, you know, it's no, they maybe, are that bad. They just are being held up by a fan base that are a little bit more creative than the ownership. <laughs> you know, it was uh, it was actually kind of kind of interesting. I've been reading this book on like the creation of the Premier League, and uh, in that book, the owner of Manchester United at that time, uh, he goes on like uh, apparently he went on this uh, like a bit of a rant to the other owners in the league. He wanted everybody to drop the word football club from their team name. Um, and like his logic was that it's like you shouldn't have to tell people what sport you play and stuff. And he was like, you've never heard, you've never heard the, you know, you never heard the phrase New York Yankees baseball club before. Right. So um, having, so I'm kind of like, you know, it's kind of like, and I just thought when I read that, I was like, oh, it's kind of interesting to, you know, be looking at like two of the names in major league rugby that um, fans have rugby in the name. Yeah, exactly. And fans generally didn't receive too positively anyways. But this is a big tangent for what we're going on right now. <laughs> um, and uh, so either way, so uh, the Roosters, Rattlesnakes. Um, I'm also disappointed that the nickname didn't become Rugby ATLians because I thought that would have been cool too. Little, oh, my uh, gosh. Little if it was like Kansas or the Midwest. Yeah. Um, that would make more sense because of the abductions. But uh, oh you no, know like there? the, the outcast album, tangent. the outcast album, ATLians is what I'm referencing. Oh. You need some musical history. Come on, man. Um, anyways, uh, roosters, rattlesnakes. Um, I'm gonna go with the rattlesnakes um, because uh, you know I I genuinely it's Ooh. they've come out the gate firing Rooney um, despite getting that win against Austin. It's you know they you know they didn't look too sharp against the free jacks um they gave up a bonus point to austin too austin was able to put up a number of tries on them um and also kind of looked pretty good i think you know they got some you know it'd be interesting i'm interested to see what rooney continues to do with bastero because you know he played he played in the uh eight man last week but he didn't really look ultimately too comfortable um playing eight man he also was largely ineffective at center um, I guess the free jacks too. So um, they might have to try to figure that out. Um, and, you know, Matt, Matt Heaton's been playing unreal for uh, Rattlesnake. So I'll continue to support our, uh, you know, one of the, the premier Canadian players in our league there. So um, that is my logic on uh, rugby ATL. You know what? I think I'm going to go with Rooney just because Troy Lockyer had such a good game. And I think that the magic of of Rooney or not Rooney, uh, yeah, rugby ATL is going to disappear eventually. I mean, I really liked what I saw from uh, from the from the, uh, the rugby ATL and, and their young scrum half. I, his name escapes me, but he's always so interesting to watch play. Um, but I think that the experience of Rooney. I think that that mall of Rooney, I think Dylan Fawcett is going to up his game. and Cathal March, March is also a fun player to watch too, so I, I, I think that they'll pull out the win. Um, in the last the game... Scrum Hap's name is Duncan Van Schalwick. Duncan Van Schalwick. There you go. Very fun player to watch, but guess not fun enough for Dan to remember his name. So there you go, <laughs> Rugby ATL. Uh, game though 
Free Jacks versus versus San Diego. Um, and I, I mean, think I think we both got the same answer for this one. Without Tog Leader, the Free Jacks just don't look like the same team. I think that is something that we didn't talk about earlier in this in the episode when we talked about their game against Utah. So I think the Legion is just the same. And if Nanu's playing the way Nanu's playing, then I don't <laughs> think there's any way that they're going to. Yeah, that that was a super exciting thing to down in Vegas was uh, you know being able to see Nanu play live um, through that nice little trademark step and head fake uh, on the uh, on the fullback there and went in for his first try. Um, you know he's uh, he's one of those guys. He's definitely been uh, he's definitely been clicking and making a big impact. Um, looks like he looks like he got the uh, inside center spot on uh, the team of the week again. So um, he's going to. Uh, you know he's he's going to have a big impact in this league, and I think, I think you know it's I think San Diego might be one of those teams where it's like I'm, you know, like I, until they actually lose, I'm probably going to not b- believe that they're capable of losing until they actually do lose a game here. Um, so they look uh, they look like they could be the uh, the premier premier team in the West. So going to last week, we both picked the Free Jacks. So we lost there, but we both picked Rooney. We both picked the Arrows. We both picked the Sea Wolves, but we both picked the Legion. And to tie, take the tiebreaker, you picked Nola, and I picked Rugby ATL. Hmm. So what's that? What's that total like? Three and three. So so you got you got one. Two, three, to put you up to eight, and I got one, two, three, four, mm-hmm. to put me up at seven. All right. So it is then, close, folks. And uh, this week is the complete opposite, apparently. So uh, for the most I think part, we've we... got the I think we've got the arrows, and. Uh, we both got the arrows, Nola, and San Diego. And San Diego, it's hard hard to bet against San Diego. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, that's that'll be it for this episode. Um, we want to take the time and say thank you to all the the listeners that uh, talked to Derek in uh, in Vegas and gave your thoughts about the podcast. We really appreciate it. We take that stuff to heart. And if uh, anyone else has any uh, suggestions, questions, please send them to us on Twitter. And uh, if, if you like the podcast, please tell your friends. Tell anyone that you think has an interest in rugby, especially Canadian rugby, because we want to do this and, and uh, get our, our message across that uh, Canadian rugby is uh, on the rise, we think. Um, so thank you very much for listening. And uh, hopefully we'll have lots of fun rugby to watch. And I won't be super heartbroken about another loss in Seattle.